Good evening, Ecclesia, and welcome to our midweek message. My name is Ken Carson, and I'm one of the elders here at Ecclesia. Tonight, for our midweek message, we're continuing our Advent series, taking us up to the time of Christmas. Advent is that season of intentional anticipation as we wait for the coming of Christmas, and more importantly, as we wait for the coming of Christ. And this evening, we want to look at the story of two pregnant women whose anticipation for the birth of their babies merge with the anticipation of the Advent, merging with the anticipation of the coming of Christ. Last week, Luke, uh, last week Ian took us through Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 26 through 38. And if you remember from last week, uh, an angel had, had come to Mary and told her that she was going to have a baby and that that baby would be the Messiah. Mary, of course, questioned this because although she was betrothed to a man by the name of Joseph, she still remained a virgin. But the angel told her that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and that the Holy Spirit would bring about the conception of that child. And we're going to pick up the story right where Ian left off as we look at Luke chapter 1, picking it up in verse 39. Luke 1 39 says this, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So sometimes after Mary learns from the angel that she's pregnant, she goes to visit her relative Elizabeth in Judah. Now some commentators have speculated that Mary has gone to stay with Elizabeth because she's having this out-of-wedlock birth, and, and that would have been a real big scandal in such a small town such as Nazareth. However, there's nothing in the text to actually suggest this is the reason why Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. Rather, it's more likely that she is visiting Elizabeth to confirm something that the angel told her. You see, if you look back in verse 36, the angel gives Mary a sign that the news of her own pregnancy is true. In verse 36, the angel says, Behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Elizabeth was barren, and, and she was well past childbearing age. And yet the angel had come to tell her husband, Zechariah, that she, Elizabeth, would not only have a son, but that this son would be the forerunner of the Messiah, as prophesied in the Old Testament. As we follow the story later in Luke, we discover that this baby in Elizabeth's womb is none other than John the Baptist. But for now, Elizabeth's extraordinary pregnancy is proof to, the, to Mary from the angel that nothing is impossible for God and that God can even cause a virgin girl to have a baby without ever knowing a man. So here are these two unlikely women in this same extended family, both pregnant under extraordinary circumstances. And in the following verses, we're going to see both Mary and Elizabeth praise God for what he is doing through them, starting in verse 41. It says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth blesses Mary because God has chosen this young, humble relative of hers 
to be the one through whom her Lord and Savior would come. And she has been privileged to know the mother of her Lord. Look what it says in verse 43. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? What a remarkable statement. Elizabeth knows that Mary's unborn child is indeed her Lord and her Savior. But what's even more interesting is the reason that she knows that Mary's unborn child is the Lord is that her baby inside of her left for joy inside her womb. You see, while this passage appears to be about this meeting between these two pregnant women, this, this passage is really about the first meeting and interaction between John the Baptist and Jesus. John the Baptist's ministry would be the forerunner of Christ, and it, this ministry is already starting while he still remains in the womb very early in his life. But this interaction also speaks to the humanity of these two unborn children. Even before they're born, John and Jesus are shown to be real human persons. This passage demonstrates that children in the womb are not just merely potential persons, but these babies in the womb already bear the image of God. They already have dignity and inherent value and fully realized personhood. This passage demonstrates that babies in the womb are capable of independent expression, purpose, and meaning from God. And God's entire plan to save humanity rests upon two unborn children. This interaction also, though, tells us something about the dignity of women and the dignity of motherhood. Because God's plan of salvation is going to be accomplished through the faithfulness of these two women who find themselves unexpectedly pregnant. God is bringing about his eternal plan of salvation through a barren old woman and a young unmarried peasant girl. One other thing to note in the passage is that Elizabeth states that Mary is blessed. But she's blessed not just because she's pregnant with Jesus, but she's blessed because she has believed God's word to her. Verse 45 says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Yes, Mary is blessed because she's the mother of the Messiah. But that blessing is only made real because she has believed what the Lord has told her through the angel. You see, blessing cannot come without belief. God's blessing is only effectual when we believe in the promises of God. Oftentimes, we will tell God that if he blesses us, then we will believe in him. But we've got it backwards. The belief has to precede the blessing. When we know the promises of God, given through his word, and then we believe, that is when we find blessing from him. And Mary is the perfect example of that. Well, after Elizabeth's exclamation, Mary then breaks out into one of the most poetic songs of praise in the entire Bible. And we pick it up in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked into the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Mary is praising God because God has chosen her, this humble and most unlikely young woman, to participate in the salvation of his people through her unborn child. This song of Mary here is actually the first of three songs recorded in the Gospel of Luke. In addition to Mary's song here, later in chapter 1, we see the song of Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. And then in chapter 2, we see the song of Simeon, where, where he sings this song after he meets the newborn Jesus at his dedication. But here in Mary's song, we see that she follows a very traditional form of the Jewish hymn of praise, 
Her, her song here is very reminiscent of Psalm 103, and it's also reminiscent of the song of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2. But there's something nonetheless, even though she follows these, these templates of, of a Jewish praise psalm, there is still something very personal and very powerful in the poetry of this song. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God's my, God, my Savior. Mary realizes that she has been blessed by God, not because of anything she's done, but because of the greatness of God. She is merely one of humble estate, she says, but the Lord has done great things for her. You see, the blessing of God is not something we earned. It's not something that we deserve. God's blessing comes from God's character and God's grace. It's not a result of who we are or what we've done. And if that's true of Mary, how much more true is it for each one of us? What Mary is doing in his, her song is she's putting things into proper perspective. She's putting things into proper order. She proclaims that while she's of the lowest part of society, while she's part of a humble estate, God is the one who is holy. God is the one who is mighty. God is the one who is merciful. Mary is stating here in her song that God owes her nothing, but she owes God everything. And all that she has is a result of the mercy of God. But God's mercy is not just for her, but God's mercy is available for everyone who fear her, fear him, for generation to generation. Mary continues in her song in verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary is looking back at the prior generations, and, and she is showing how God has always had a habit of lifting up the humble and tearing down the high and the mighty. In verse 51, it says, God shows strength to the weak, but he scatters the proud. Verse 52 says, he exalts those of humble estate, but he brings down the mighty sitting on their throne. In verse 53, he, he fills the hungry, but he sends away empty the rich. And then in verses 54 and 55, God has fulfilled his covenant promises to his people Israel through the coming of her son. This reminds me so much of the teachings of Jesus and the Beatitudes where Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are hungry for you shall be satisfied. And in James where it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Mary is emphasizing here in her song that God cares for the weak, for the vulnerable, for those who have no social standing, which of course includes herself. But remarkably, this also includes the person of Jesus. Because in Jesus, God has decided to become man and enter into human history. But he doesn't enter into human history descending from heaven like some kind of all-powerful superhero. Rather, he comes into human history as an unborn child inside the womb of a poor, unwed mother. He's not, he's not born to a rich and powerful mother in a palace. He, he's born in a place where the animals are kept. He, he's not raised in the centers of power like in Rome or even in Jerusalem, but, but he is raised in a small, poor village in Nazareth. And when he grows up, he ministers to the lowly, to the leper, to the Samaritan, 
to the prostitute, to the tax gatherer, to the, to the demon possessed. And then he dies the death of a criminal on a cross and he's buried in a borrowed tomb. As it says in Philippians 2, Christ emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by being, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it is through this humility of Jesus that God's mercy is available to all generations and why God's mercy is available to you and to me. Because by becoming man, Jesus is able to understand us. But more importantly, Jesus is able to represent us as he takes our punishment, as he takes our sin upon himself, as he hangs upon the cross. It is because of Jesus' humility that he has made the mercy of God available to you and I. As Mary sings in verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Because of the humility of Jesus, God's mercy is available to all generations and to our time as well. God's mercy reaches down to us through the humility of Christ. So Mary's song then confronts us with this question. What is it that we value? And what do we seek to be, want to be? What do we seek to be? Do, do we want to be an influencer in society? Do, do we want to be a person with a platform with thousands of followers? Or are we willing to let go of whatever power or influence we might have in order to humble ourselves to serve God in anonymity? Remember, Jesus came as a vulnerable, unborn baby born to an unwed peasant girl, to serve the very lowest in society. Is that what we want as well? Mary's song reminds us that God wants to use those who are humble and lowly. In 1 Corinthians 1.28, it says, God chose what is low and despised in this world so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You see, God chooses to use the least in this world because if he chose the powerful and those of high standing, then they would get all the glory for themselves. But by choosing the low and the despised, there's no boasting. And God is the one who receives all the glory. So do you think God can't use you? That you're too insignificant? That, that you're not skilled enough? That you're not socially connected enough? Well, guess what? You, you probably aren't significant. You, you probably aren't that skilled. You, you probably aren't socially connected enough. But that's exactly why God wants to use you. You are just the kind of person that God likes to use. I mean, look at, look at Elizabeth. Look at Mary. God was able to use them greatly in his plan for salvation of all humanity, not because they were powerful, not because they had a platform, not because they were influencers. No, God was able to use them because he's all-powerful and his platform is greater than the entire universe. God chose Mary to be the mother of our Lord, not because she was an important person. Rather, he used her specifically because she wasn't important. So in the same way, God wants to use you and I specifically because we aren't powerful, we aren't important, we, we aren't skilled, we aren't connected. And yet God wants to use us anyway so that he can receive the glory through us. And when that happens, that is when we will fully realize the full blessing of God available to us. Because as Mary sings, for behold, from now on, generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Will you pray with me?
God, I pray that this Christmas season we would reflect upon the humility of your son Jesus as he was willing to leave beside the throne room of heaven and come as an infant, a baby who was in the most humble of circumstances and who served the most humble in this world and died a humiliating death so that, God, you might lift him up and that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord because, God, you have lifted him up from his humble estate. And so, God, may we come and serve you, God, with humility. May we not look to our own power, our own influence, our our own platform to try to accomplish great things for you, God, but may we in humility come before you and let you use us wherever and whenever you want to so that, God, you might be glorified and we might receive your blessing. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us for our midweek message. We're glad you were with us tonight. I want to remind you that we have our gathering this Sunday, our three services in person at Venue 252. Make sure that if you want to come to those, that you are registering online for that. And if you can't join us in person, make sure and join us for the live stream. And we hope to see you then. Have a good week.